0: Thank you. The word paper is something of an exaggeration in my case. Uh, What I have is some remarks, and I was told that that's all I'd have, is some remarks. I still haven't got round to writing this up, but I'm not sure how to write it up, actually. I have a feeling that probably Jonah's paper and and Lynn Seabrook's paper later today might be the kind of paper that I would... the kind of thing that would need to substantiate what I'm saying. Mm Uh, I've been muttering to myself about privatised Kantianism for about two and a half years now and I am kicking myself heavily, but I've never patented or copyrighted that phrase because what was not at all obvious when I had it as an idea is now blindingly obvious. I did at least go public on it once. If only, uh, at a, just before the last German general election, I was giving a talk at the Friedrich Stiftung in, in Berlin and it was about welfare reform and labour market reform. And I said, you should stop thinking about liberalising labour markets, that's not really what it's about. And if, if, there's a, if there's a real big reason why the British and American economies are more dynamic than the German one, it's because we have irresponsible housing finance and irresponsible credit policies. So if you take the position in particular of an American uh, middle, lower-income person. Their job is, they're likely to get re-employed if they're made redundant, but their job is insecure. Their wages are not actually rising year by year. But they've got a house, the value of which is rising all the time, and which they can keep remortgaging for more credit. Whereas in Germany, you have stable housing prices and responsible loans policies. You're not gonna get (coughs) those in an era era of liberalised labour markets, or liberalising labour markets, uh, and where Um, growth is is overwhelmingly based on on consumer spending rather than exports. Uh, Because what we have is a regime of privatised Keynesianism. Under Keynesianism the state undertook the obligation to to, to raise debt in order to encourage consumption uh, if if, if depression threatened. In the neoliberal post-Keynesian monetarist economy, that still goes on but not so much. What instead we do is encourage private debt. And the private indebtedness of citizens uh, is what is fueling the economy. So looking at this in terms of sort of regulationist uh, accumulation regimes, we've really now had two uh, regimes since the end of the Second World War uh, when in the advanced democracies the, the main problem of a a, a political economic regime, is to reconcile capitalism and democracy. We've had two of these regimes. The Keynesian one, which lasted from about 1945 until around 1976, Uh, give or take a few years, depending on which country you're looking at. And then the neoliberal one, which has lasted almost exactly the same period of 30 years. Something about Kondratia curves. Uh, Lying behind all this, I suspect. Uh, the Keynesian, the, 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 the reason why there's a problem with the relationship between Ke- uh, capitalism and democracy is that capitalism does present the lives of ordinary people without much savings with uh, constant needs to adjust, with fluctuating incomes, fluctuating jobs. It, 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 it's, it's, a certainty isn't guaranteed. Uh, but democracy means that people say, "Well, we would like certainty. Really, we're going to we we, we will use our votes to try and get more economic certainty." And also, uh, the, the sort of for, from the Fordist period onwards, uh, e- e- economies have dependent, been dependent on mass spending. That wasn't the case before. So the 19th century economy was mainly dependent on on <coughs> the masses didn't spend much. Most most economic. Growth was dependent on, on uh, sp- luxury spending or spending by mo- relatively re- wealthy people. Now we've got real mass markets, so the the, 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 cap- the economy itself needs people to be confident spenders. So there's there's a, there, and there's a, we need regimes that sort of reconcile the in, the instability of ordinary working lives that capitalism brings with capitalism's own needs for uh, confident consumers and democracies need to provide stability in people's lives. The Keynesian economy dealt with this in a very direct way. Uh, the, 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 key, the key fear was the, the, the problem of, of, of providing a stability to a, a mass democratized working population which had shown during the first half of the, the 20th century that it could well lurch off into to fascism and communism if, 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 uh, so if the liberal capitalism couldn't provide it with certainty. Uh, and the, the, the Keynesian model of, of demand management tried to do that, um, stabilising the fluctuations of the capitalist economy. And uh, it made it compatible with democracy, compatible with, with mass consumer confidence. That regime uh, met its crisis because it, it, it never really did the proper balancing uh, for inflation tendencies. The, the, the incentives of the system were always to keep spending going. when it met real inflationary shocks from commodity price rises uh, in the early 1970s, it was unable to respond uh, except in a small number of countries and Gradually, some point during, depending on the country, some point during the late 70s, on towards the 80s, in various parts of the world and in international organisations, um, a tougher neoliberal regime uh, is introduced. This then provides, uh, and, and there's also a change in the balance of class forces takes place at the same time, that, that, that the manual working class is no longer the threat that it w- once seemed to be. It, it had a great big kick in, in, in its dying days in the late 60s and early 70s, but these actually, in retrospect, we now see were the last kicks of a class that was actually historically declining, which had been absorbed in the polity. Uh, the occupational bases of it were about to decline. Uh, the, 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 the class formation that was going to dominate the new regime was that of globalised financial capital. That was If the world had seemed to be dependent on uh, the stability of, of, of the manual working class, it was now going to be dependent on uh, the behaviour of a globalised financial class. Uh, and the neoliberal regime uh, seemed at first to be a much tougher regime for working class spending, uh, uh, because there was no longer the, the guarantees of, of the Keynesian model, and alongside that we're going to withdraw of welfare states and the liberalization of labor markets. And so what we see, what happened to solve the puzzle? Why did this not become unstable? Why didn't it become a depressive uh, deflationary economy? Why didn't it lead to political instability? The reason was in the US and in this country, to some extent in Spain, to a lesser extent elsewhere, uh, housing, finance, and more generally, the encouragement of, of debt among people who couldn't really secure their debts, as we've heard about earlier on today and yesterday, uh, became a kind of functional substitute. Uh, No one planned it at the time. It's one of these things that happened. uh, And it it was facilitated by the development of derivatives markets and risk markets that meant the, the financial system could absorb all this unsecured debt because people were just selling it on and selling it on uh, through these wonderful chains of, of complex things. Uh, a, a crucial part of it all is the fact that the, the main priority of the post 1970s economic regime was to bear down on inflation, especially in, the, in continental Europe but also elsewhere. Uh, the main priority meant to bear down on inflation, which means if your business was producing. Uh, manufactured goods or agricultural products or services like hotels and restaurants and so forth. If you're in those kinds of activities, the, the regime was be- the, the, the economic management was bearing down on your prices the whole time. Uh, if, however, you are in the financial sector, you were trading in assets and rise asset prices is not inflation. Uh, A rise in share prices is not seen as, oh my goodness, there's a rise in share prices, they're more expensive now, that's inflation. Because As asset price goes up, uh, so it actually increases the value of the thing that you've got to to, to sell. And for most people, the one asset they have, which is of this kind, is is their house. So uh, uh, a rise in house prices, as we've seen in the last few weeks, is seen as an unmitigated good. A rise in the price of petrol is seen as an unmitigated bad because a rise in the price of assets is a financial, is is, is not an inflationary thing. It increases your wealth if you have to pay more to buy a financial asset. Uh, And this, of course, is why the the regime we've been living under is a deeply inegalitarian one because financial assets are very unequally distributed and the ability to earn on the basis of assets is very much dependent on your existing stock of assets. And so we find that in in most countries, the the long-term decline in inequalities of wealth that had gone on for most of the 20th century marked a sharp reverse direction, uh, starting in the US in in the end of the 70s, and now almost everywhere. Uh, A a sharp increase in inequality of wealth, reversing a century-long trend, because an asset-based regime uh, is going to become more and more unequal. So it's, it's a regime that has very, very different characteristics from the Keynesian one, but it solves the same problem as the Keynesian one, uh, in that it, it, enables, uh, it enables people to go on buying when, they, when they've got deep economic uncertainty around them. And, and, it, and we've all benefited from this, actually. And we've all, we've all gained from this thing. Uh, because in the end, what has happened is that the irresponsibility of this unsecured credit-based risk trading, the irresponsibility of that has become a collective good. Because the, 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 the prosperity of all of us depends on this thing going on. And so we get this extraordinary situation now where um, the US and UK governments are accepting the moral hazard of underwriting the irresponsibility. Now there's the odd casualty on the way, you've got to prove not everyone gets prizes for irresponsibility so Lehman Brothers are a kind of symbolic victim but that merely tells you well if you've got your holdings in certain kind of stock you're not going to be bailed out so make sure you've got quite a bit of, of mortgage business uh, in your portfolio then they can't let you go uh, and and so Next time when it all starts up again, everyone knows. Well, we know we're going to be underwritten for X billion dollars, right? So we can start. We can start again going again, with knowing that's secure. Because the state, which was the conceived of as the idiot, uh, the interfering idiot in the neoliberal regime, suddenly has become the well, the nanny state. <laughs> everyone runs to nanny hell We need. We've been very naughty, we want to go on being naughty, and it's in your interest we are naughty, uh, because she, so please, can we carry on? So the regime was, uh, the, the, the privatized Keynesianism regime has reached a kind of crisis now, similarly to the Keynesian one, it's in an atmosphere of, of rising commodity prices, though so the connection between them is, is not so clear the question is how fundamental a crisis of the regime is it, it's had its 30 years um, if one looks ahead to what might be take, what happening now uh, we don't have as we, or we don't seem to have anyway as we had in the, the late 70s a kind of major change in the class balance of society um, that there, there is no rising class that, that challenges the, the logic of the of, of the existing regime. Um, the, the, the actual concept of neoliberalism has been seriously punctured. The notion that we depend on free markets and maximizing competition has suffered a very big blow with the, the role of the state moving in and also with what we've seen this week in the UK, and I suspect we're going to see this um, quite a lot, uh, the encouragement or the, ex- uh, the acceptance of mergers that produce entities that are very anti competitive. It's very much like the 1930s, that the, the encouragement of a kind of cartelization, of, uh, encouragement of, of large market dominant firms uh, with, brokered, with their deals brokered by the state, protected from competition law by the state. Uh, we, we, it seems to me that the system is transmuting itself into one that is based on the sovereignty of markets or which believed it was based on the sovereignty of markets to one that is going to be based on the relationship between big firms and governments a kind of a kind of no, a, a model of corporate noblesse oblige in that the firms so yes we we realize we're playing a kind of social role it uh, doesn't mean we stop profit maximising, but it means we need certain guarantees from the state to ensure we can carry on performing our role. Uh, and in exchange for that, we will accept certain obligations of good behaviour that we will informally negotiate with the state. So I think there is a, a, a change going on in the regime, but it seems to me it's going to be a regime that in the end privileges, uh, the really big players in the financial sector because uh, we don't yet have in sight any means of solving the puzzle of providing security for ordinary working people's lives in a liberalised labour market uh, without uh, without the, the private credit model. So it seems to me it's a regime crisis that will lead to a kind of mutation of the existing regime rather than to a uh, – well, I'm going to finish now, don't okay. mean by five minutes uh, – <laughs> rather than to a transition to a totally new one. Brilliant. So I'm really sorry that I interrupted you with oh, <laughs>